started, we have, a, and I'm sure more people will be coming in, but we're not at full capacity right now. Who was at the information session this morning? Excellent. So good to see you all again. Uh, so we have a panel of CMS alumni here today, and they are going to each introduce themselves. And then we have a few general questions, but we can really open it up to, to questions from you. And then at the end of all of that, we will have, um, usually we have chicken covered with peanuts on a <laughs> stick. <laughs> Much better than it sounds. Uh, sometimes waffle balls. Or <laughs> it's actually pretty good. Sometimes spring rolls. Who knows? But the little catered uh, event will, will, will be moved in on trays uh, at the end. So um, do you guys have a preference for the order you go in? All right, let's just start on the end here with Lily then. Lucky me. <laughs> Hi, I've met most of you, um, and I also just graduated, so I'm probably fresh out of CMS more so than the rest of the event. Not, not to like knock on anything, but um, uh, anyway, I just graduated last summer, and um, I am now in the PhD program in DELSP, which is the Department of Urban Studies and Planning. I'm sorry, just, just say your name. Lily. So, oui. Oui. Right. Yes, good. Thank you. Um, and I'm currently looking at disaster risk reduction and risk communication um, with regard to climate change on small island states. Um, but my master's here had to do with environmental monitoring and how air quality data is visualized for different audiences. And we can talk more about that later. Oh, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Andres Lombana Bermudez. I am a fellow at the Berman Klein Center for the Internet and Society and an associate researcher with the Connected Learning Research Network. I, um, I graduated in 2008 uh, from CMS. I, at that time, I used to work with the Project New Media Literacies. It was an initiative led uh, by Henry Jenkins. And I was very interested in humor at that time. Um, and animation and music. Uh, then I went to uh, to Austin, Texas, and did a PhD in media studies. I took a journey that initially I was going to do some research in audiovisual technologies and film, but I ended doing ethnography inside a high school, uh, studying like inequalities, uh, uh, Latino population, and um, the use of mobile phones and digital media. Um, Currently, I work in, in this in the Berman Klein Center here at Harvard, uh, doing research with uh, with youth. Uh, uh, I'm still interested in those issues of uh, designing for equity um, and uh, a, a range of other topics that go from game design for inclusion to uh, digital citizenship, uh, building digital literacy skills, and things like that. <coughs> Happy to be here. Uh, uh, Colleen Kamen. I graduated in a class of 2010. Uh, so these days I work at um, a department of IBM that's called Interactive Experience. And I work, uh, I'm an experience design lead and um, uh, researcher. And uh, when I was at CMS, I was in the uh, civic media program. I came to CMS, I had been a, um, a journalist and documentary filmmaker <coughs> before I, I came to the department. And uh, since I've graduated, I think, I think uh, maybe the main thing that I want to say about the work that I do is I feel like there are, um, I've been pretty interested for, um, for the majority of my career in thinking about how, how we think about uh, making change and how that happens. And for me, uh, when I came to CMS, I was feeling like maybe media didn't have all the answers and maybe technology was a thing I could do do more with and these days uh, at IBM um, the two main areas that I'm focused on is in the healthcare space so I spend a lot of time trying to um, think about how you can um, use behavioral insights to help people develop better habits um, and better achieve um, goals so whether that might be like weight loss or um, or maybe it's um, adhering to certain um, certain, uh, if it's diabetes management, certain things that they need to do in order to stay healthy. Um, and uh, it's, I'm also uh, at IBM focused on accessibility, so I fairly focused on inclusive design. And we, one of the areas that we're spending some time on the moment is on thinking about designing for aging users. So what does that mean when we think about technology and how we think about inclus inclusivity for a, uh, a really large population? 
Cool, I'm Abe Stein. Uh, I was class of 2013, I think, if I remember correctly. My relationship with CMS actually preceded that by a bit because I started working here in, I think, 2008 uh, at what was then called the Gambit Game Lab, which is now the MIT Game Lab. Um, so I've, I've had a long relationship with CMS and, and seen it through a lot. So um, now I am the director of strategic partnerships at Killscreen Media. We are a video game media company um, with a, a bunch of different business pillars. We have a print magazine, um, which every time I say that in 2016 feels crazy. Um, we have three uh, editorial verticals uh, on, a, on our website, um, and we also have uh, event business and an agency business doing creative content and branded content for um, a bunch of different companies. And uh, I can talk a little bit more about what that is, but um, do you want me to talk more about that now? Or? <laughs> if you want to. No, it's, we can, I think it may come up in conversation anyway. So we, okay, good. Yeah. Um, well, uh, uh, Maybe uh, some, and we don't have to go across where everyone answers. <laughs> we speak more generally about how CMS prepared you for what you did, for what you do now, or maybe how it didn't. You know, sort of thinking, looking back on uh, your your time at CMS, how it impacted your career choice and, and what you're up to, and sort of the long-term resonance. I, I'll happily jump in. Um, you know, I think for me, especially in the position I'm in now, although you know, in the jobs I've had since I graduated in 2013, and every single one, it, it's sort of been the same thing. I think while I was here, um, I, I sort of paid, I, I think, lip service to the idea of what the comparativeness and comparative media studies meant. You know, sort of like, yeah, 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 yeah studying video games on TV, it's fine. You know, um, but. Uh, you know, really, as as I'm working at a uh, at a company now that, like I said, has events, has video content that we're producing, that we're looking at all of the different platforms that we're trying to distribute creative content on uh, in the video game space. Um, I'm constantly thinking about the intersection of these media forms, how you communicate a brand across media forms, so that there's different access points for users and audiences, and so. Um, I think I tweeted about the other day where um, you know the comparative part of the CMS story has so much more resonance now in my working life than, than <coughs> it did when I was studying it here. Uh, and I think it was just a worm, <laughs> you know, that was sort of carrying through all of the coursework and all of the discussions with the teachers and stuff like that. And then now it's like, oh, right, that made sense now. That was a good idea. <laughs> so. I think CMS helped me realize that I wanted to be an academic. Um, when I first came into my master's program, I did not know that I wanted to go into a PhD program. I really thought that I was going to spend two years at MIT and make the connections I could, write a thing, and then go back out into the world and find a job. Uh, but while I was doing research and connecting with other people doing research at MIT, I realized that this is something that I wanted to keep doing, um, and I wanted to keep building a body of work around it. Um, but that said, I think the ways in which CMS helped me prepare for an academic career is that it, it really emphasized interdisciplinarity, which I think I'm going to continue pushing for the rest of my life because the value of being able to talk to someone who doesn't have the immediate interests that you do, but finding some, some way to relate to that or trying to solve problems together from different places, I think has been very valuable. Um, and from a very academic standpoint, I think how grounded CMS tends to be in critical theory has, helped, has figured into urban studies and planning, what I'm doing now, in really interesting ways, in the ways that it challenges the status quo um, and provides a, a nice theoretical framing for thinking of problems that are still relevant in the world today. Um, and also um, this kind of underpinning of social constructivism, which I think everyone at this point has probably discussed in class. Um, has played a nice role in the way that I think about things that I'm researching now, like disasters, um, and arguably disasters are socially constructed. Um, and so like that's kind of helped uh, inform the way that I think about academic questions, and I, I think I see that much more clearly now in retrospect. Um, it's, uh, I didn't know that you weren't clear about wanting to go on for a PhD when you came here, and I think that's somewhat unusual. I think a lot of people come in pretty clear whether or not that's their path. And I, I may be wrong, but that's my sense. Was there a kind of tipping point for you? Or was it just um, a sort of organic development over the course of the time? I couldn't pinpoint a single moment where I had that realization. It just, it was a slow burn. Um, but if I had to narrow it down to a time frame, it was probably during my second year when I realized that I wanted to, to, to pursue a PhD. <coughs> 
Yeah, I, uh, for me it was also in the second year. I also yeah. didn't know I wanted to do a PhD, but it was mostly during the dissert, uh, the thesis, mm -hmm. the, that thesis work that you do at the, uh, during your second year. It was kind of a realizing that you enjoy working with archives. At that point, I was looking at a lot of uh, the history of audiovisual design and the comic uses of humor. So one one of the actually one of the biggest lessons for me from CMS was learning to approach to the media objects or media texts, no matter how ephemeral or how frivolous they look like, they, they have a great potential for connection into complex issues of society. Yeah. So so for me realizing that like gave me like energy. Also the mentorship that I found here like uh, with some professors was like encouraging me to oh yeah you should pursue pursue a PhD you you will do you can do it and it will kind of satisfy your interest your curiosity and uh, one of the things actually in terms of interdisciplinarity that's mm -hmm. something that is is great about CMS MIT but for instance for me that I went to UT Austin it was kind of a challenge to be in an environment where that interdisciplinarity doesn't happen so mm -hmm. I think the environment here is is excellent in terms of that. You will find very few places where actually you can be as interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary as MIT. So, but you keep that framework, so I was not afraid of going and work with sociologists or anthropologists uh, back here and during my PhD. And, and, and now I'm trying to work more with policymakers. Uh, I'm also kind of uh, all the time looking for ways to do apply kind of work. So I do a lot of design and that I mean, that's very like MIT uh, applied humanisms or mm -hmm. CMS applied humanism. I try to keep it, even if sometimes it's not, it's difficult for other people in more traditional schools to understand it. Why do you want to do a video game or why do, do you want to do a video instead of like writing this research paper? But mm -hmm. so there is always this negotiation, and I think that uh, it uh, gives so, you like a good training to, to navigate those, those kind of. Um, Situations. So at UT, you found some people <coughs> resistant to uh, interdisciplinarity, but also to the idea of sort of applied humanities, uh, making applications of what you were doing to building things, making things. That yeah, it's the space, right? Yeah. Like the, the kind of spaces you have here, labs. I mean, we, for instance, just like the idea of having a lab uh, to, to do some work open in a co working space or having access to tools is. Uh, it creates this atmosphere of applying things. And the project that, for instance, I was working here, uh, Project New Media Literacy, it was, we have to be designing resor educational resources that were going to be used by uh, students around the country or doing like documentaries that were going to be watched and used by teachers uh, so they can teach new media literacies, as we call them at the time. But, uh, yeah. Colleen, did you have anything to add? Well, I would just, I would, I would add, I don't know the background, I don't know if that I've had anyone in the room, so I don't know people's backgrounds, but I would say that that tension, I think I very much, having been in the working world and then coming to school, that was the transition for me, back to school, and I'd say that the ten, the interdisciplinary, I would say, is a tension, uh, and it, you know, I don't know if it's still on the website, but they at least used to say, you know, we're preparing you for jobs that don't yet exist. And I'd mm -hmm. say that that still feels like attention, like the skills that you you uh, learn at CMS. I think even like where I work now, because I work um, with, you know, there are people who are computer scientists that are, um, or data scientists that are designing algorithms, and I might work with people who are very traditional designers who come through through kind of more um, clearly defined disciplines. I think. I think even now, I feel that the tension of being a very interdisciplinary person, um, and maybe the skills of living and being comfortable with, um, with being in that maybe sometimes uncomfortable space. The skills you learn here are ones that are valuable. I think moving forward, because I it continues to feel really critically important. Are there any ways in which CMS did? not prepare you for what you do now that maybe it should have like it's totally okay to say that <laughs> um it, like it's it, it, despite this conversation is not just like a love fest about the awesome cms so, so i would say for me my so i had an i have an undergraduate degree in anthropology mm -hmm. and what i learned when i came to cms is i my like my love of love affair with the department i wanted to just like live at was at was at sds 
Mm-hmm. And CMS sometimes felt like um, less of a fit for me. Mm-hmm. And I think there's the flexibility to, to have, um, to take classes. But sometimes the interdisciplinarity of it felt like, I, I wasn't always clear at the time, am I getting the right underpinning of, of background or, or skills that I wanted? that I want to have here. And maybe it feels different if you continue on into a PhD program. Um, I don't know, but I would say, for me at the time, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I, it, it, sometimes the coursework felt a little disjointed for me. Um, and then likewise, I think I was in a place, and it's interesting, Andres, I haven't seen you in a while, but, and, and Lily, that you're both thinking about policy, because, mm-hmm. I, I think that's the other piece for me is how do we think about to the degree that for me at least being in this field and being uh, both a, a practitioner and a researcher in this space is also about how do we make change happen mm-hmm. and policy and sort of thinking um, at those structural levels feel pretty important and I don't know that we focused on that quite as much um, at CMS. I mean I, my thesis was focused actually on I looked at, um, I studied stand, the standardization of the internet. So I, what I looked at was sort of what were the, what was the role that actually the business community played to ensure that the internet was successful. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of that, that piece of standardization, which is not the sexy part about the internet being, um, being about um, a tool for freedom, but really important as we think about internet protocols and why is the internet <coughs> protocol that we use, like why, why did it become an international um, standard it needn't have gone that way um, so but I, so there's room to study that I just don't know that that's you know I, I think at CMS you the more you kind of know what you want to get out of your time mm-hmm. here I think the more beneficial mm-hmm. maybe is the way to, way to say that yeah I find there's a rubric of interdisciplinarity that sounds great and then in practice it can be very challenging and difficult because uh, I remember when I, was, I was writing a book on, on conservative evangelical media, and I had to learn a lot about religious studies to know what the hell I was doing, right? Mm -hmm. But my training was in media studies, and there was a point where I felt like I'm really interdisciplinary, you know? And I started going to a few religious studies conferences, and I realized I don't actually really like these. (laughs) Um, It's not really working for me. Um, And I'm all, but I was narrow cast, narrow targeting, like, you know, okay, I'll go to the panels that are directly relevant to my work. And then I became sort of humbled, realizing, like, you're, you, you can't, interdisciplinarity can't mean I'm going to master two or three disciplines. You spend your whole life trying to master one discipline. So there can be an arrogance sometimes in the sense of like, yes, I am religious studies and anthropology and media studies. Like, no, you're definitely not. Um, you find the niche that you can use. You know, I'm always, I think it's very, CMS to be very practical and pragmatic. What are the pieces of this? What are the tools that I can use? Um, but you're never going to be interdisciplinary in a way that implies that you, you know, just have three or four PhDs in different topic areas. <laughs> and I think it's worth keeping that in mind, you know, at the information sessions when we talk about, we're so interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary here, what we often mean is that we were all trained in different disciplines, <laughs> and we try to bring that right. to you, but not that we all sort of do everything. Um, so I think it's very useful to try to complicate the idea of interdisciplinarity rather than just saying, it's the greatest, which I think is a kind of rubric that we hear quite a bit. Yeah, I would say it's very challenging, and that's kind of the struggle. For instance, if you want to embrace that, then you will find all the time like these obstacles. And but perhaps what gives you like um, this kind of training in something that is looking for comparative media, like is like this ability to connect things that are, seem to be unrelated. And mm-hmm. while well, you are not going to become a religious study, but you are not going to be afraid of taking that text and bring it back to what you want to analyze. So I think it's ability to connect many things and make sense of them. I, I would say like in a, yeah, it's not interdisciplinary at the end, but in the media studies kind of yeah. uh, approach, I guess. Yeah, and ultimately you just have to be bold and forward ahead. I mean, I found it, uh, like I, I go to the American Historical Association <coughs> sporadically, and I sometimes see friends from college who were trained in history, and they go, oh, Heather, what are you doing here? You're not a historian. And I'm like, super thought I was. Damn it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and you just have to not be phased by that. Well, I'm super trying to be a historian, so just, you know, work with me here. <laughs> um, 
in terms of the preparedness question, um, and it's been a while since I've been here, but I, I just, you know, in reflecting back on what it was like three years ago when I graduated, because I've, I, I, I've only been at Killscreen actually for about four or five months now, and I've had a few different jobs actually since I graduated. And so I actually felt, I graduated feeling really prepared to stay in academia, which I didn't want, I mean, I maybe would have loved to have done, but I wasn't, for pragmatic reasons, going to try to do. Um, you know, I, I, I was intimidated by the potential job prospects, sorry, of staying in academia and trying to find a career in academia, which is like, daunting right now because we're turning out a lot of PhDs and there's yeah. not a lot of open positions, right? Um, so I actually feel really prepared for the academic side and the tension that we talk about between theory and practice, right? I say the balance between theory and practice was something that we hemmed and hawed about in the 2013 class quite a lot. Um, for those of us who weren't continuing on to academia, we were like, we can apply to jobs that don't exist. Like, this is actually a problem because I can tell people, like, I have a lot of really strong ideas and that actually I've, like, worked on a lot of really cool, you know, academic projects. But, um, you know, sometimes in the business world or in the, you know, in the corporate world, I guess, that doesn't carry as much weight. Um, so that's one of the challenges, I think, is that um, it's important while you're here if you know in advance that you do not want to go on to academia, that you do the work on your own to prepare yourself for the kind of things that you might need to know in the corporate space, depending upon where you were gonna go in the corporate space, whether it's learning how to draft a contract or learning what a scope of work document is, or right, all of these things that you might not be getting you know, from working on a cool workshop or lab, which has value, but it's different than wherever you might end up, end up kind of going. And I've been fortunate I've been able to kind of work my way there. Um, but I do think, and I, I don't, maybe it's changed in three years, but that was a little bit of the tension that we felt in 2013, I know for sure. And there were a few of us who were like, what do I even apply to right now? Like, I need a job, what do I do? <laughs> so. and, and, and one option for addressing that issue of the job that doesn't exist and sort of sorting out some of these more esoteric issues might be that one of your electives is say it's Sloan, yeah. you know, where you actually, which you can do, you know, yeah. and, and you might learn, let's say, but take one of that. TL, do you know a little bit about their entertainment? Yes, yeah, so Sloan branch. has a very interesting um, entertainment, sports, and media club. Um, and I've, I've met with their presidents over the years. It's a student run club. And a number of them have said we were, we were thinking of applying to CMS, but we did Sloan instead. They're much more kind of mainstream media, entertainment, sports world, but they're a great resource if, like, you imagine a trajectory that will take a more traditional industry path. They are very willing and welcome to have CMS students involved. They have tons of execs and they do field trips out to LA. And I mean, again, it's, I know it's not the vibe of most CMS students, but if you're interested in that path, there's, there's great people to connect with there. I know Abe take. I, What's that? What's my Yeah. <laughs> I did. I took a class at Sloan while I was here. It's another world over there. Thank you. It's, it's like, no, it's good. I mean, I learned a lot, but it's, a, it's so, it was so different than my CMS class. Was, I mean, took like a marketing class, and I was like, this is different. <laughs> did you have to bid for classes? I think so. I really don't remember. It was a big class. Other system of like signing yeah. up for classes. It was very different. I, I took a, I took a couple classes at Kennedy's the Kennedy School, and we, there was a. I don't know if I actually could part. I couldn't participate in the bidding process, but yeah. I had to go and like basically. Yeah, I was going to ask about Harvard in. Business School if there were any kind of options up there. But Kennedy School, could you <clears throat> describe Kennedy School for people who don't know? Yeah, bit? so the um, the Harvard Kennedy School is the school of um, is it public school of government and public policy mm -hmm. or just a government, so. government school? So I was really interested. I took some um, public policy and opinion research courses there, mm -hmm. which. Uh, so they, um, they uh, prepare, there are students that are going there to do kind of a traditional kind of public policy master's um, programs. Um, and then there's some public administration. So there's a, it, it produces a fair number of graduates every year. But it has some pretty interesting classes. Uh, and so if you're interested at all or thinking in the direction of policy um, or thinking about um, government or even even if you're kind of thinking around the area of like um, civic engagement or political engagement, they will have a focus that will be very different, I trust, um, than what would you would see at comparative media studies, um, or even MIT. But 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 useful actually mm -hmm. in the way that you're most likely would be 
that would be taught by like a, probably a political scientist. Right. Or but I would like add that. also that within the Shorenstein there, or within the Kennedy School, there's a Shorenstein Center, which is specifically focused on media and public policy. It's really true. Um, and uh, not coursework per se, but they have a lot of visiting scholars and lecturers and so on. Um, I saw Tanahesi Coates there a couple of years ago, so nonfiction best-selling authors. You know, people coming through who take up more. Uh, and, and Coates had just been a, the MLK scholar here at uh, MIT right before then. Um, but there, there are sort of some points of intersection there. Um, and also there's the Berkman Center. I'm not suggesting that the greatest way to do CMS is to take classes other places. <laughs> but, I'm just, but, you know, pointing to things that you might need or want that aren't instantly accessible here, there are, there are other options. Yes. The, the other thing I would add just on the front, on the, along the front of somebody who's who goes to a CMS program and not looking to continue in academia or, or, or choosing not to continue in academia, would say the other piece of thinking about finding a job is because, you know, it's not, uh, it, it's not that, so companies might not be knowing or a group or an organization might not know that they're looking for somebody like you. So you have to kind of think about it that you, you not, uh, you might, might need to sell yourself, but it's also thinking a lot about relationships that you want to cultivate and kinds of organizations and helping um, people to understand the skills you do bring to the table because it's not immediately. The, the other part about coming out of an dis interdisciplinary program is it, you, you, know, you don't fit into a, box, a, a clear, clean box for people to kind of know what your skills are and what you can bring to the table. And Abe, you, you do not have to add, you can take the fifth on this if you want. No, I'm definitely answering. Don't want to talk about but I'm curious about the jobs that you took before the one you have now at Kill yeah. that, that didn't work out for sure. whatever reason. Yeah, so after, after a brief period of very stressful unemployment, uh, which was not, not enjoyable for at all for anyone or my family, um, I started a position in the communications department at um, Wheaton College, uh, not in Illinois, the one in Norton, Massachusetts. Um, so. Uh, different <laughs> and uh, that was really cool uh, in a lot of ways I, I did it was not you know what I was necessarily looking for um, which is why I have since moved on to some other things um, but I will say you know I wasn't a hundred percent sure about how I was going to end up applying what I learned at CMS in a position that involved copy editing um, but eventually it, it was all kinds of things I mean my writing skills that I developed here of course um, you know HTML skills that I developed I was immediately able to apply we were a small shop there were like five of us basically putting out a quarterly um, college magazine putting out digital communications to the entire alumni you know begging graduates to donate to the annual fund, things like that, right? And there was a lot of different communication channels, and I think um, part of what I was able to contribute there um, uh, was helping them think about uh, different platforms and different channels to kind of expand into um, beyond just sending letters, beyond just sending emails, you know, how do they manage social? They were really just, you know, trying to figure that out, even just, you know, three years ago. Um, so I was there for a brief period of time, um, uh, a little over a year, and then I started at ESL, which is an esports company, a major, giant, big esports company. We have uh, another alum uh, who graduated shortly after me there right now, um, doing business development stuff. Um, that's um, a, it's sales. <laughs> I mean, really, calling it business development is something, but it's sales. It's, you know, uh, selling sponsorship for events because they do these massive events and Logitech's there and Intel's there. And, you know, so um, it was doing that. That was a massive learning experience for me from the, like, going on completely the other side of the corporate, you know, side of things. It's a very corporate organization and I learned a lot there. Um, and now, for the past five months, I've been at Killscreen and it's actually a little, it's nice. I get to, I was saying earlier, I feel like I'm, I sort of like remind and pat myself on the back that like the work that I'm doing at Killscreen is enabling the amazing creative people that I work with who are working on our editorial verticals and on our magazine and our events and you know coming up with these amazing, brilliant, fun ideas for us to work on. Like, you know, I'm enabling that and that feels really good. And I think that's my <laughs> contribution to this this pie and you know, working looking at operations and how we how we function. And so uh, so it's kind of a nice blend of everything that's leading up to that point. So. Yeah. I wonder if Andres and, Lil and Lily is the people who went on and got a PhD and are currently getting a PhD, if you have advice for people here who are considering applying for PhD programs in terms of, I mean, there's really basic stuff like you should apply for five or, you know, this kind of, that kind of stuff. But uh, anything about thinking about their thesis in relationship to later study or just, you know, kind of maybe things you wish that you had known. Uh, about PhD programs before you applied or
anything along those lines? I would say if you're considering it, um, start researching the programs that you are thinking of applying to as soon as possible. And don't just think of it as like you're applying in a vacuum and like you hope the application goes through and like just write it as well as you can. Like try to make connections at the universities that you want to end up at and don't just consider whether or not you fit or whether or not they would accept you, but like consider funding. You know, that's a really essential thing. Like you should feel like you should get funding to complete a PhD because it is a very long commitment. Um, and DUSP gives you, like it's a similar setup to CMS where you're given an RA ship and then you're getting tuition covered and so you don't have to worry about that. Um, and so there are a lot of PhD programs that are similar in structure. Um, but yeah, I, th I think um, trying to connect with professors who share your research interests is very important. Um, and also really, really working on your narrative of self in whatever statement of purpose you put together. Um, it's, it was a lot more challenging than I thought um, to just tell the story of how you got to where you are. Um, and especially like with my background, having done like a hodgepodge of things from like public radio to citizen science to working for my congresswoman. It was like, how do I put this all together? Like it makes sense to me, but like how do I use all of this that's happened to me to make a case for pursuing a PhD in urban planning? Um, so like, and everyone in this program, I'm very sure, thinking about going into this program has that mix of skills. And so if you're thinking of going down the academic track, try to think of how to piece all of that together. Yeah, I, I would also, I mean, just emphasizing what Lily said, um, this idea of also getting to know the people who is already in the program, just like talk to the grad students who are in that program, because that's for instance something that I didn't do that much and I regret it, that if you just talk to professors or to people who is uh, alumni of the program, then you don't get the feeling of how the program is changing. There are like a lot of politics in the mm -hmm. how programs develop. Yeah. So if you don't get the sense of like, how is environment when you are getting in, then you can ha have another completely uh, understanding of what the program is. So talk to, mm -hmm. talk to the grad graduate students, the graduate, the cohorts that are in the, in the program. And then, yes, perhaps since if you, if you plan to go from CMS to like a discipline, like, like a more constrained discipline, like choose something that where you can actually bring the media the studies perspective, like mm -hmm. uh, in a kind of a meaningful way. So, uh, because then, or you can go to another interdisciplinary program, but then you don't know what you get because it, it could mean something totally different. What is interdisciplinary? As you were mentioning, interdisciplinary or transdisciplinary doesn't. <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a very contested kind of term. So, yeah. <laughs> and I would give this is just general advice, but it can be. Uh, I was going to say perilous. That sounds really dramatic, dangerous. So, it, you, you tread carefully. If you are choosing a PhD program based on that one person you want to study with, mm -hmm. because you might not click, you might not hit it off. They may already have enough grad students and not be taking more grad students. <coughs> they may leave the year after you arrive. So you want to be thinking about a place where the, the environment as a whole is a good fit for you, not just that one person for just a whole range of reasons and things that can uh, sort of misfire. At least now, when back it, in the uh, Devonian era when I applied for graduate school, um, th there was no worldwide web. <laughs> and so we were dependent on the pamphlets that were sent out by the university, and they weren't updated that often. So there were people who got there, and the person they wanted to study with was gone. <laughs> like, ah. <laughs> so that, that, that would, you know, you, you would know now. <laughs> but it just points to being careful about, you know, not putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, anything else you guys would like? I'd like to sort of open up to Q&A, but are there any other specific things that you guys would like to share about, say, uh, things people might think about if they're debating between this program and other programs? Uh, we're speaking to people who are potential CMS applicants, but also there are people here who are already in the program. So, um, you know, there's, there's sort of advice in different directions that I Come to CMS. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> Apply. 
I think the alumni network is kind of rebuilding, actually, um, when I first graduated. So you know, there's a you know, little history about CMS. There's sort of this, you know, Henry Jenkins, who started the program, left and went to USC. And so there's kind of a group of people who were here when he was here and graduated when he was here. There was a break right. where there were no graduate students. And then right. my Well, there was one year when they didn't take new students. Yeah. There was still the other class. Right, graduating, like, exactly. And then my cohort was the first of the new cohort, yes. the post-Jenkinsian yeah. <laughs> cohort. Um, and, you know, it, I think for a little while it was a little weird. There, there wasn't the same kind of strong alumni network connections being developed. That I am actually seeing change as, as more people from my cohort, you know, who were the first to come back are starting to have jobs in, in areas where they want to be at. Um, you know, we, I find myself connecting with other people who did video games at CMS who graduated before and, and talking to them. And it's, we're brought together because of CMS and stuff like that. So I actually think... Um, it's, it's an actually really strong thing, and for those of you who are going to be graduating this year, are going to be graduating soon, or for those who may be graduating in the you know, not-so-distant future, um, I, I think that's a really strong thing for, for this whole department, is actually the network, the online network is really starting to coalesce. I would agree, and I would add, so I was here during the, during the split. <laughs> so we lost Henry midway through, and there were a lot of tears and sad times. and you know, Gnashing of teeth. <laughs> and quivering lips, uh, but uh, so that was a that was an interesting time period. I would also say, it, if you know, it, I think the I think the research group you're assigned to is, um, has a pretty has a pretty significant impact on the experience you have in the in the program. So I I was part of civic media, and I was in the first year of civic media. That was at the same time Henry was deciding he was going to leave it was also going through they were they had decided to have three three co-leads which is a little bit I think like trying like uh, deciding you're going to be in an open marriage and I think it then, <laughs> and then then it becomes a showtime episode or series so there was well, there was some drama there that just made for ch a challenging um, part like it was a brand new um, research group but also there I think were a lot of um, politics happening which made for a really challenging Experience. I think it's important to be thoughtful about that. Um, the civic civic media was a pretty um, <coughs> was one reason I decided to come to this program. So um, yeah, but it's not a break. It doesn't have to be a make or break thing. But it's important to kind of think through how important that is. I think for your experience. Yeah, I, I would perhaps also like the in terms of recommendation, just uh, just explore like these other departments that are in this MIT institution because it's kind of amazing what you can learn. I, I really, what I learned here, for instance, taking classes at the MIT Media Lab or in the music department is, I mean, I couldn't get that kind of, uh, like, space or, like, uh, connections with other students and with professors. So it's, it's really amazing, an amazing place to do that. And you have the openness. It's just, like, very unique. Well, I see a question already. I just wanted to add one thing to the networking idea which was that sometimes at the town hall meeting at the end of the year, people say, I wish you would give us more networking opportunities. So here's one right here, yay. Um, but also, you know, with a whole list of all of our alums on the website, uh, you know, be extroverted and just go, you know, send, like, I think sending a cold email to someone at a program that you haven't attended yet to see if you should go there can work out or not, depending on, if, you know, how much is in their inbox and stuff. But I think if you were to email CMS alum, they'd be like, yeah, let me tell you, if you're not here yet, let me tell you about the program. If you're here and you're like, what is this jobs that don't exist thing? Can you help me out with this? You know, because you found one and, you know, how the hell did you do that? Um, I want to encourage you to do that. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is that someone doesn't write back. Okay, get over that. Um, but really, um, in your voluminous spare time, I'm <laughs> suggesting you might uh, reach out a bit to, to our alums. Um, if you guys had any other specific things. We could open up to questions. You had a question. Yeah, hi. Uh, perspective. My question was, how certain were you when you applied that you knew which like, lab area did you want to go into, and did you end up where you thought you would be, and was it directly connected to your thesis, or was it not? Too many questions? So I'm, I'm, my impression is that you're accepted based on space in the lab so I think I think each lab has a certain amount of space for each student so you're accepted based on um, sort of
sort of they, they pick you for a for an RA ship. Not part a, of can, let me interject. So not exactly. that's why I was looking at I you. I've been in a different. star chamber many times, <laughs> and really what we do is look at all the applicants and narrow, narrow, narrow. Right, it's a hundred, and we get it to fifty, and then we get it to twenty-five. You know, by the time we have our last meeting, it's between twenty-five and thirty, um, and they're all great. You know, and then we start thinking about who's the best fit, how does the cohort fit together best in terms of the disciplines and background and interests and so on. And then once we get it down, at that point we're sort of at 10 with a possible wait list of three. You know, like we can't get these through 10, you know, and we very rarely go to the wait list, but it, it's happened once, I think. Um, and because uh, we have very high acceptance rate. And then we're like, okay, how do we make it work? We've got 10 people, we've got X number of labs, uh, X number of them have funding. Who's going to fit where? Who has the right skill sets? And sometimes it's a bullseye, ta-da, and sometimes it's not. I mean, we, we do our best. I, 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 you know, we want it to be a really positive experience. It, it isn't always. I sometimes tell people, like, when I was in grad school, I had to teach composition, which studying film, I had no idea, and work in a movie theater. So it's like, that, that was okay. <laughs> so sometimes your lab might be, feel more like your sort of acceptable day job, and other times it might feel, aha, this is directly connected to, to my thesis. So I like to try to be frank about that, because I think you can study the website and feel like, I'm, I know I'm going to put all my effort into going to the Center for Civic Media, and that's it, and that is my home, and then you don't get into that, that lab. Not necessarily because you're not a good match, but because maybe the funding is down that year, and we, you know, they're not paying for anyone that year, and so we put you somewhere else. And so um, we do our best, but it's never a, a, a sort of like we, we never start with okay, who fits in what lab. We end with who fits in what lab. Okay. And you know, in your applications, it's very useful to say you know labs you're interested in. If you list all of them, that's not helpful. <laughs> you know, which some people do when they apply. It's so make me more viable if I say. Any of them, or six of them, you know. So it's helpful, um, but it's not like a make or, or break kind of thing. Um, and uh, the other thing I was going to say about lab matches, uh, I can't remember. It'll come to me. I'll, I'll say it when I remember. There's one other thing. But anyway, um, thank you because I I wasn't sure precisely how it worked. <laughs> now you know. In, in my case, I, I, I was assigned to the lab I very much wanted to join, so I was thrilled, really thrilled beyond belief. And and um, and did it relate to my thesis? I I I would say it did in this interdisciplinary way. <laughs> uh, might only be evident to me, but uh, but yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, other questions? Um, I love that you're. I'm on this side of the equation. I'm not interested in becoming an academic, at least right now. Um, so I have a question. my question is, um, what are some other uh, organizations and companies that walk on to, just because I love like I love reading about kill screen and the work that you're doing. Um, yeah, just any, even IBM, IBM is a very large organization, but any like other places um, you could suggest just to go and read about and figure out what people are up to. Uh, from my cohort and and the cohort after, like I said, we've got someone at ESL, right? So I can I know a lot about people who are working in video games specifically. So um, we've got someone at ESL um, right now. We've got someone at Twitch. Um, actually, the MIT Twitch connection is pretty strong. There's there's a fair amount of people at Twitch who are from MIT. Um, we uh, we have some people in the consultant space, so people who are doing uh, marketing consultation in the video game space uh, from my year. Um, uh, web app. Uh, and uh, mobile app development uh, in a product uh, product management uh, side of things. Uh, Vixlet, I think, is the company it's called. Um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting other people who went industry and, and didn't go. Insomniac. Uh, not anymore. He's now he's now doing consulting. So Sunny. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was at Insomniac Games for a while. Now he's he's uh, highfalutin at a consulting firm. <laughs> so. Good for Sunny. <laughs> so, so in addition to the gaming folks, mm. there's there are people who um, are at so if there's somebody at Fusion. Uh, there's some again consulting. Yeah. There's a number of people. At, so somebody at Slalom Consulting. Um, what was that? Slalom. So. Yes, and I know at Google doing user research. We have a number of people there's, who've gone on to do 
Google. User there's research in various ways. Actually, when at Riot, but also Google. And, and there's somebody at Apple now. There's yeah. I think she's doing product management. But it tend so I, the the thing I would say around these <coughs> kinds of roles, user research, but also product management, is that they are. I think to be successful in those jobs, you need to have a number of skills. And so I think like people from my class have, you know, had, you know, we've all had a number of different jobs at this point. Um, so I don't know if where we are today is where, where we will be in a year or three years. But um, I don't know if you're asking because you're explicitly trying to figure out where, where are some industry opportunities or if you're just thinking globally, like to try to understand, you know, like there are also people that have gone back who are in public media and have gone back to public media. So PRX or NPR kind of, kind of things. Uh, maybe helping to do kind of the um, multi um, sort of cross-platform work or um, that are, you know, thinking about new forms of storytelling. Certainly there are people doing that kind of work. Um, I'd say the thing that I'm really excited about that is happening from some CMS alum and um, Sam Ford comes to mind, but there are others that have that have done a really good job of straddling the the divide between sort of being a um, uh, somebody who's able to talk about what's happening in an industry or talk about what's happening in technology and trends in a way that's um, that can garner a lot of insights and be really helpful um, for um, you know just sort of helpful cultural critique or helpful like guidance, um, but also be able to work in the industry. And I don't know of too many programs that produce people that do that kind of, they're able to straddle that space. You know, like, a, you know, not just um, academia, but also able to kind of be in that practitioner ac academic space, or research space, rather. Yeah, this is a, this is a less CMS-specific insight, you know, and it, and it may actually, on the surface, seem disheartening, but I, I promise it's not. Um, you know, I shotgunned applications when I first graduated to lots of places, and I, and I ended up in a, in a really nice comfortable job in the communications department. Um, I met Jamin, the founder of Killscreen, the, the first year I started working at CMS, eight years ago. Um, we became friends. Um, he reached out to me when I was at uh, you know, ESL just to, to reconnect, because we hadn't talked in a long time. Uh, and you know, now I'm working full time there. And, and you know, ultimately, a lot, of, um, a lot of things, I think, can tend to work out that way um, through networks. Uh, and like I said, it, it can, I don't mean that to sound disheartening. Um, I mean it more to say, um, spend. I would encourage you to spend some, some or as much time on going out and meeting people in the spaces that you want to be working, uh, as you do preparing your documentation and your resume and your CV for for what it is that you want to be doing. Um, because it, it ultimately uh, across the board. I mean, even as I'm in a position of hiring now, you know, across the board, it's, it tends to be like when someone gives me a tip on somebody, even if right at that moment. I'm not ready and I don't have a position for that person, then all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, we got that position. Remember so-and-so said you should talk to so-and-so? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and it, I think that's just kind of how it works. Just, a number, just quickly, there's a number of people that are in ed tech, the ed tech space. Somebody who was in the civic tech space, it was at Hillary for America. I mean, so there's a lot, people are in a lot of different industries. They tend to be technology focused. I remember the thing that I forgot before. Wait, before it goes away again. Uh, when I was saying it doesn't really help to say I can work in these five labs. It is, and don't do this if it doesn't happen organically, but it is helpful in an application for you to flag um, a particular professor you'd be interested in working with. We, we notice that. And um, not it doesn't make you a better candidate. It's just like, oh, we should have so-and-so take a look at this and see what he or she thinks. It helps if that person's on leave and they're not in the space looking at applications. So that's just a handy thing, but it's not a, it's not like the thing that will boost you over the finish line. It's just something to be aware of. Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask back to our panel was, um, but maybe also to the audience that people are here now, or maybe even TL, um, but what are some of the opportunities that you see in uh, interfacing uh, networking at Microsoft research. Did you guys do that while you were here? Um, are there resources there? I mean, obviously there's summer internships. They're paid, which is awesome internship. But I'm one, and they have speakers, and we bring some of them in to, to speak here. But I'm just wondering if, if you found that fruitful, or if anyone in the audience has found that the, the, having a relationship with Microsoft research to be fruitful. Yeah, I think this social media collective. collective 
uh, uh, it has some. I think Nancy Bain used to mm -hmm. teach sometimes at CMS. As a, I guess a She's officially a visiting, visiting uh, or a associated with yeah. CMS. So I think they do some colloquiums, they do mm -hmm. some events. Yeah, I think it's worth uh, following them. They, they, they put together a, a great team of researchers, postdocs, uh, interns. Just kind of want to get on everyone's radar because we do have mm -hmm. a fair number of people who either do summer internships there um, or um, alums who end up back there as visiting scholars. Yeah, I mean, there's one they they hire. You know, it's a minimum amount of hiring, so I don't want to overstate it. But you know, yeah, if you're interested in social media, <coughs> internet stuff, gaming stuff, the Social Media Collective, they have frequent visitors who are giving talks. You should definitely have them on your radar and they're wonderful scholars there, Mary Gray, Nancy Bing, Charlton Gillespie, people who are thinking a lot about the gig economy and algorithm, critical internet studies basically. So they're a fantastic resource and they have, you know, a number of them have close affiliations with Berkman Klein and, mm -hmm. you know, that's another important hub if you're interested in kind of critical internet studies, Berkman Klein, SMC, Berkman also has paid summer internships, <laughs> thinking yes. practically. Um, are, are there other ways that anyone knows about for reaching out to, to Berkman besides just going to a talk or that kind of thing? I, I, I would say start going to talks and get on the list. I yeah. don't know if yeah. you have other advice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are like a number of events that are open to the public. There is a weekly luncheon talk that is open to the public every Tuesday. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Just go to the events. Uh, there, there are always opportunities to network and meet there. I mean, if you can, if you want to go further, you can ask one of the professors to let you attend the class or take the class. Uh, I don't know. I remember when I was st st studying here, uh, one of my cohort uh, members uh, was Steve Schultz, and he was very interested in in internet policy, and he he took a class with Jokai Bankler. Mm -hmm. Who is uh, what's given? So there are like a number of professors at the Bergman Klein Center who also teach, and you can t take the classes through Ber through Harvard Extension. So it's it's another way to interact. Great, thanks. Um, other questions? Uh, thank you guys for sharing your one is, I heard um, consulting being mentioned a number of times just now, and personally I work in that industry right now, so I'm just wondering, because I feel like consulting might be more remote compared to user research or technology firms, so why is that mutual attraction, I guess, between CMS graduates and consulting firms? And the second one is, what's the like, kind of dynamics or collaborations CMS has been doing with MIT Media Lab since you guys are, I guess, situated in the same building? So, uh, so I think as the I think I'm the only consultant at the I'll, I'll start. So, so um, I I do work at IBM and I am a you know a consultant, but I'm on the user. So I do I do user experience strategy and research or an experience design. So I'm not a traditional management consultant in the way that I I don't. I work sometimes with business strategists, but that's not what I do. So I'd say I'm on the kind of a CMS version, a CMS kind of styled or a, a style of consultant. And there are, there will probably always be a huge demand for consultants because frankly, as much as when you spend time at CMS or when you graduate, you think like you've learned all these things, your head is really full, and that somehow it can you can lose track of the fact that the rest of the world continues to kind of um, lumber along at the pace it's lumbering. And like I'm consistently surprised at, you know, I work with, um, I work, uh, I've been doing a lot of work in the healthcare industry, and I'm consistently surprised how little. Um, people understand digital technologies and the opportunities and how reluctant they are to really like make things that are user-centered. And there's just a lot of reluctance, right, to do to do that. Or they, they want to because they think it's gonna make them money, but they're, the, all the in-between pieces are really confusing. And then there's great reluctance in, there, in the middle. So I think there's a huge demand for that. And I think, frankly, when you walk out of a program like this and you have the, that understanding and that those these skills, frankly, there's just a big need for it to help. And, and you know, I, I think 
what I like to think that I do is I try to make that you know those pieces work a little bit better and try to hopefully impart some understanding about what it is that I that I've learned here for example so can I underscore one thing about that I think this consulting is a what it is definitely a black box word mm -hmm. so yeah. the consulting that CMS students usually go to it's not the standard McKinsey management consulting that you know the Harvard grant becomes and <laughs> spends their life on the road it is yeah. a really different it's almost a creative critical independent kind of formulation of consulting that's quite different than traditional and, and increasingly the management consulting firms are realizing that there's a um, they would say that it's around that they're they are building you know design thinking or they're building departments that are focused on digital technology or design having design as a as something that they do and so they are separate departments. So a lot of consulting firms are realizing the value, but they, it is a really different kind of strategy and a different kind of consulting than, than the, traditional, um, the traditional work. Having said that, um, I'd say, you know, it's really funny because I, I don't work directly with it, but I rub shoulders oftentimes with the people who are working with the data and the algorithms. And there's such a need, I think, for, you know, you look at the sort of strategies or the, um, directions that are putting, putting, being put together around data governance, and it's really like it feels like such a job that we CMS grads should be working on, frankly, to just understand what's at stake, because there is a lot at stake when those kind of decisions are being made. Because usually that's those are that's data that's being collected from users, and so it, to my mind, it's even a question over who should own that information to begin with. So um, I, it feels like a pretty important space for a CMS grad to be working in, frankly. Yeah, uh, agency services at uh, Killscreen is um, a creative content consultancy, so it's a little bit different. I knew it would come up. Um, so, to give you an example uh, or two examples, you know, a brand might say like, "Oh, yeah, we we don't have an influencer strategy for gamers, and it's like we really need to do something, you know, in that space because everybody's doing something in that space." So they can come to us, and, and we can help them frame the messaging around that because you don't want to misstep because that's worse than doing nothing. Um, the other side of it would be, oh, we're, we're, you know, we're really recognizing that, you know, we need to target, you know, high income, uh, you know, gamers who are older than 18, uh, but, but we don't know what to do. And, and so we can help them with strategy, but then also the messaging and the content. So whether it's social video, whether it's editorial pieces, branded content editorial that could live on kill screen or could live anywhere. Um, so, uh, you know, we're, again, yeah, far, not quite the management consultancy side, not even close to the management consultancy, is a little bit more of the, um, we need content, we don't know how to make content ourselves, especially not content that's earnest and speaks to the demographic that we're targeting, and that's where we, we kind of step in, and with a game-specific uh, focus. So. I, uh, so over the summer, I did a consultancy, uh, and thank you, TL, for clarifying that it is a black box word, because I think the way that I would interpret that title would be just a contractor that, you know, wasn't going to stay on full time. Um, but I found this consultancy, still with air quotes, as a way to kind of work as an independent researcher. So I ended up working for a smart city initiative in London called CityVerb, uh, and they wanted a community engagement strategy. Um, and so I ended up just kind of like helping them develop that and doing extra research and doing user research. Um, but it, it was by no means a management consultancy um, to have that. Uh, disclaimer, but also to get to your second question about the Media Lab, mm -hmm. I think I I really like the way William Uricchio put it once. He said that CMS is situated in the Media Lab, but it's not necessarily of the Media Lab. Um, but that's not to say that you couldn't explore different opportunities in in the form of classes and lectures and events that happen in the Media Lab while you're there. Um, I know that there are a few popular classes that CMS students tend to take, um, like MAS 500 or How to Make Everything or Almost Anything, or um, you know there are a lot of design classes that CMS students also take to kind of build those skills. Um, and for me, it was kind of just fun to be in that environment um, and to kind of meet people who were doing work that was different for me. Um, yeah, so it, there is a lot of opportunity for interaction. Um, so it, it's really up to you. Like anything else with CMS, you really just have to figure out what you want out of the program and just go out and explore. What might be helpful uh, for people who are here right now, not only for people who might be here, but just for within the community that's already here, if anyone has experiences with the Media Lab they'd like to recount that are either positive or negative, because 
can be a mixed bag, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know um, I've really worked hard to try to establish roots within the Media Lab because uh, I always considered myself a designer, but in the way the Media Lab approaches is more of like, okay, how do we build it? And I was always the voice of, well, what, what are we building? Why are we building right. this? And like, what is the impact of what we built? And I didn't find an exact fit in the Media Lab through the Media Lab program and comparative media studies was really great for me because I could... I could ask those questions in the same building and kind of be there and be that voice. And so, for example, there was a project within Laboratory for Social Machines in the Media Lab that I was really interested in. And I actually went and talked to them and I was like, I was like, you all, you're doing the artificial intelligence, you're doing the data mining, but like you don't have anybody here to talk about the user and what are you building in that? And they're like, this is actually a good point. Like, come to some of the meetings and let's talk about it. And so I think if you're proactive and you, you really have to like work to sell your perspective, but some people in the media lab will listen, some won't. Some will say, well, our algorithms are doing great things and <laughs> no, other, no other comments. But um, so it, it. yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, like talk to the students, figure out what they're working on, figure out how they can really benefit, how it could be a mutual benefit mutual benefit for both parties involved, not just you and your interests, but them and their their projects. Can I say one thing too about this? I think, I think it's really important to not apply to CMS thinking it's the media lab. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Because you will be incredibly frustrated. We do, we do things in CMS that, that will bore you to tears, probably, or you'll be uninterested. You'll be, I want to just demo and die. So I yeah. think it's also really, it is really important, that thing about we're in the media lab, we're in the physical building. We're in the old physical building. But we are a very different program. And so I think it's important for folks to, you know, just spend some time and, and get a clear, clear vision of those two different yeah, but it's like it's it's always fun, you know, having the CMS perspective with all these media lab people, yeah, and you nice. talk and you talk about their data project, and you're like, well, let's talk about fan cultures and how fan cultures <laughs> yeah. are important. And you see all the data science go like, oh snap, like that's a really good point. Like, how do our algorithms reflect yeah. that? So um, yeah. it's going to be a very different perspective, but I think if it's a perspective you're interested in, it could yes. be great. Yes. Well, I was here. I found put this tactfully, I found renewed energy and drive behind how we do things in CMS in looking at the difference between how we do things at CMS and how they do things at the Media Lab. And it was really good for me. It, it kind of propelled me along. <laughs> 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 All right, thank you for that. <laughs> Very tactful. <That's> <laughs> Can I have a ask Lily a question? Because yeah. I appreciated your, when, when Abe sort of signaled the precarity of the academic job market. And you sort of, it seemed like you had a recognition moment. Sorry. So that you, you thought about that. I, I, I always encourage people to think about that seriously before they take on a PhD. Yeah. How would you advise folks who may be, how did you approach it? How do you? Um. Well, I, so I was laughing to myself because I just read this book called The Professor is In. I don't know if anyone in this room has read it. Um, it's by, I forgot full name, but um, last name is Kelsey, if you want to look it up, and MIT Libraries does have a copy in case you want to pick it up and read. But the main thesis of that book is that the more you try to be the best academic that you can be, the worse job candidate you end up being. Because the culture of academia is all about like fawning and deference and like, oh, thank you so much for like meeting with me. Um, but like, if you were approaching it as a job candidate, you'd be like, well, of course you should meet with me, like I'm, you know, like I have skills, I have knowledge, like this is something that I should be able to apply and share. Um, and so that book kind of opened my eyes, like one, to just how saturated the market is. Like there are so many more PhDs and there ever will be jobs for um, PhDs to become professors. And so like there's this kind of existential moment in every academic's life where it's like, well, do I want to actually pursue tenure or like apply for an academic position or should I go work for an NGO or like start my own firm or something like that and I'm I think I'm in the process of thinking that about those things right now um, when I first applied to the PhD program and this could change just like it did when I was in my master's I didn't think that I would pursue a professorship I, I thought that I'd get a PhD and then you know go do international development or work for an NGO or something like that it was a means of building another body of work around something else I wanted to explore. But this is just my personal 
you know, intersubjectivity. So like it's not something that I would recommend to everyone else, but this is just how I have started to think about it. Um, but that book was really helpful in, in kind of underlining the practicalities of pursuing an academic career. It's not the most glorious thing, so you, you really have to think deeply about what you would want out of it if you do go down that track. Um, I'll just add so it doesn't sound, it, it, this is good advice, but I will note that really since 2008, a lot of PhD programs have dramatically reduced the number of students that they're accepting. So recognizing that the market is over glutted, I'm not saying that means like, awesome, there's so many jobs now. <laughs> but um, you know, programs that were routinely taking 10 students, you know, went to eight and seven, six and five and, and smaller, smaller. And so that um, there is an eventual kind of payoff from that, not a magic fix. Um, but it really, you know, when I was in grad school, if you know, if you'd had less than 10 PhD students in your program, you just not up to snuff, you were not you know, on a par with the other. And now, you know, it would be very normal to have maybe four incoming PhDs instead of ten. So mm -hmm. my program actually did the opposite, where our year is the, the second largest class in the history of my program. Mm -hmm. um, wow. And I, I don't know, you know, <coughs> what went into that decision, um, but the, the cohort that I'm in has a mix of funding packages. I was really lucky enough to get funding for all four years. Mm -hmm or at least up to four years and beyond that, who knows, but I know some people have like partial funding. Um, and that tends to change depending on what's available and who knows after last week <laughs> what's going to happen to the state of academia. But yeah, do your research about the programs you would want to be in. I think, I think if, you, if you finish at a master's, whether you continue on to a PhD, um, one of the things that for me is exciting is there's opportunities if, if publishing and writing and doing research is what you're interested in, there's opportunities to do that whether you continue on or not. And I've been able to fortunately continue to write and to find publishing you know, venues for, for writing that I do. And a lot of the stuff that I was doing while I was here at CMS that I actually really appreciated and enjoyed that I didn't want to let go, that was the part of me that was saying, like, stay in school, stay in school, you're doing this. Um, I've found opportunities to kind of keep doing that anyway, um, which is great. It's no substitute for going and getting a PhD, which is also another important thing. Like, I, I recognize that there's, there's a lot still that I could develop as an academic if I wanted to go down that route. Um, but for me and my family, I chose not to do so. Mm -hmm. yeah. We have other, some other questions for the panel? Okay, well let's move on to peanuts and chicken on a stick or spring rolls. What? I think Shannon said it was gonna be cheese and crackers. All right, cheese and crackers. <laughs> the cheese is generally pretty good here, so. You, you guys still on IRC as a back channel yeah. during colloquium all the time? That's the most important thing I learned in CMS, because now we use Slack, and it's Isn't just it IRC, it's the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 